The vision reminds us that our best days are yet to come. Go out and share this good news. Build bridges of harmony. We want to be unity agents. Serve new waves of revival sent to the church by the Holy Spirit. We want to be a spirit-filled church. Serve our neighbors in need as the hands and feet of Jesus. We want our cities to be positively changed and to be different 10 years from now than they are today because Lutheran Church of Hope is here. Not just city changers, but world changers because Jesus says go into the whole world. We want to be an intergenerational church. We want to make disciples to go from seeker to believer, to follower, to servant leader, and around again. We want to be kingdom expanders. We want to be legacy makers. We want to love those who are broken, broke, tired, scared, sick, in prison, lost, or wandering, because that's the heart of hope. you feel that bass there at the end of that? How good is that? Oh, welcome to Hope, everybody. My name is Scott Rains. I am one of the pastors here. I'm so glad uh, you're worshiping with us today. These last couple of weeks of winter weather has just been ridiculous, and a lot of you were super wise last week, and you didn't come because it was so ridiculously cold. It, it reminded me of the COVID days and, and how great it was when we were finally able to meet again face-to-face -face in person. Uh, I look around this room, and I see a lot of faces that are familiar to me. Uh, I've been here a long time. Some of you have been here a long time. Some of you, I officiated at your weddings, and now your kids are being baptized. That's pretty cool. Um, and, and so we've been through some of the highs of life together and some of the lows of life together. Uh, it's great that you are here, those of you who are longtime hopesters. I also look around the room and see some faces that are not familiar to me yet, and I'm glad you're here as well. I'm looking forward to getting to know you and hearing your stories. Uh, whether you are in the room worshiping with us in person or worshiping with us online, let's read this verse together, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Uh, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on. Uh, this is kind of the heartbeat of hope. You heard Pastor Mike in that uh, video that we just watched reminding us who we are as a church. What's the vision? Who, who do we hope God helps us become? We're not there yet. We're far from perfect, but we're moving in a direction inspired by the Spirit of God. And so uh, as we get started in the year 2024, the message series is on these 10 big goals that we believe God has given us for this decade of ministry. Hope's 10 for 10 vision. The first weekend of the year, we looked at goal number one, which is to be evangelists. Last week, we looked at two goals in the same sermon. Goal number two is unity agents, and goal number four is city changers. Today, we're going to be talking about goal number three, and we need to stand up for this one. So everybody, if you're willing, would you please stand up with me? And everybody say, Spirit-filled. Spirit one more time, say, Spirit-filled. Spirit All right, each of these goals has an action connected with it or an activity connected with it. Evangelists are going to tell 10 million people the life-changing good news of Jesus over the course of a decade. Unity agents are going to build bridges of harmony. City changers are going to serve our neighbors uh, by being the hands and feet of Jesus. On the bottom of the screen, you see the action for a church that is spirit-filled. Let's say this out loud together. Surf new waves of revival sent to the church by the Holy Spirit. So we got to do a little bit of surfing. Um, it's the middle of winter. 
Maybe snowboarding it would be a better thing for us to do. But I'll, I'm, I've asked the production team if they would play Wipeout by the Surfaris. And I want to see your best sort of air surfing. Are you ready? On your marks, get set, go! Yeah! Surfing USA! Here comes the big one! Nice! We got a lot of good surfers in the Midwest. Gnarly dude, hang ten. Yeah, wipe out. You can sit down. Thank you for playing along. Uh, we got to make fools of ourselves for Christ every once in a while. I'm not going to guarantee that I won't mm, ask you to do something foolish the rest of the service because if the spirit moves, we got to move when the spirit moves. But I don't have plans for that. This verse is impossible unless we are a spirit-filled church. At Hope, we like to say we are better together. Lots of places in Scripture where we come across that idea. But you see it really clearly in this verse. Look at all the togetherness that's required to, to live out this verse. We're going to encourage love of one another. We're going to help each other out. We're going to worship together. We're going to spur each other on. The idea is following Jesus is not an individual activity. Following Jesus is something we do together. We do in community. Uh, we do as a group. This is a group project. This is a group exercise. And, and as we dig into goal number three, we're going to be asking the question, what does it look like to be a spirit-filled church, a spirit-filled community of faith, a, a spirit-filled body of Christ that's surfing new waves of revival? Let's pause on that word for a little bit, revival. I wonder what you think of when you think of the word or you hear the word revival. I wonder what kind of picture pops into your head. For me, I've watched far too many movies, but I think of a revival tent and a revival meeting. And it's almost always in the middle of summer when it's 150 degrees outside and inside the tent, under the tent, it's even hotter. And there's an, an angry and sweaty preacher pounding on the pulpit, literally trying to scare hell out of you. Like you better believe in Jesus or else. That's my kind of image of, of a revival, but is that a biblical image? I, I do know a lot of us have this understanding of God or an image of God where we believe God, we're sinners in the hands of an angry God, and that God loves to punish us. God's just waiting for us to mess up so that God can pound us. Uh, God loves to rub our faces in our failures, and the writer of Psalm 85 seems to be coming from that kind of an understanding of who God is at the beginning of Psalm 85. Lord, you poured out blessings on your land. You restored the fortunes of Israel. You forgave the guilt of your people. Yes, you covered all their sins. You held back your fury. You kept back your blazing anger. I, I sense a little bit of a tone of surprise in these words at the beginning of Psalm 85. That there's an expectation of who God is and, and what God is going to do. We're expecting anger. We're expecting fury. And huh, what do you know? God doesn't do what we expected God to do. Instead of anger and fury, we get blessing and we get forgiveness. The writer of Psalm 85 is thinking back over the history of the people of Israel and how God has shown up, how God has acted in the past, and realizes this is actually what God does. Historically, this is who God is and what we see God doing. And so as you keep reading through Psalm 85, the writer of Psalm 85 is starting to plea with God, pleading with God. You've done this before, God. Would you do it again? Would you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? 
Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. What is revival? Where does it come from? What sorts of activity leads to revival, causes a revival to break out? It's not an angry God. It's not an angry preacher. It's not well-meaning but angry Christians. It's not, well, if we just shape up, if we stop doing the bad things we're not supposed to do, if we start being a little more holy and righteous and uh, obedient, that's going to lead to revival. No, that's not what the scriptures tell us. Scriptures tell us revival starts with God's love. Won't you revive us again? Show us your unfailing love. Grant us your salvation. This is what's happening in the opening pages of the book of Acts. The book of Acts takes place after the resurrection of Jesus. And he appears to his disciples in the upper room. They're scared to death after the crucifixion. They've locked all the doors. We just sang, open up the windows. They got the windows securely locked so nobody can come in. They're afraid what just happened to Jesus is about to happen to them. But suddenly Jesus is there in the room with them. And they see and they hear and they touch the risen Savior. Can you imagine how that would strengthen your faith? This strengthens the faith of the disciples. Jesus says to them, you're going to receive power in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You're going to receive, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. There's going to be a revival. There's going to be an outpouring of God's Spirit because God loves you, and that outpouring of the Spirit is going to create waves that start right here, and then it goes all around the world. Jesus ascends back into heaven. He says to his disciples before he ascends, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which happens on the day of Pentecost. We read about it in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's some debate on this amongst biblical scholars, but the majority of scholars believe th this house where they are staying is the same house where the upper room was. The upper room where they celebrated uh, the, the Passover, the Last Supper, the upper room where they're hanging out, scared to death after the crucifixion, it's in that room. And it doesn't really matter where the room is, except it tells us it's kind of a small space. In chapter 1, it says this house where the upper room is, they were able to fit 120, I think, believers in there. But on this day of Pentecost, it's a small group of people in this room, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes. Now, uh, because it's Pentecost, which is one of the seven uh, religious holidays that uh, the people of Israel celebrate every year in Jerusalem, the town is full of people, pilgrims who've come to celebrate. And when they hear this huge sound, this commotion, they go running to see where the noise is coming from, and Peter and the disciples tell them, this is the fulfillment of the prophet uh, Joel. Hundreds of years before uh, Jesus, God speaks through the prophet Joel, and God says, the day is going to come when I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, slave and free, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, everybody's going to have access to this power of God's love that comes through the Holy Spirit. Peter tells the crowd, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit has everything to do with Jesus. 
Jesus who was crucified, but who is now alive. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world, and you should believe in him. And we're told in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people repent of their sins, are baptized, and put their faith in Jesus in one day. The church is exploding with growth. And then I want to read for you how Acts chapter 2 ends. This is a description of the early church. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2 is a story of revival. And notice how it begins. That God loves us enough that God pours out the Holy Spirit initially on a small group of people. So it's a small group of spirit-filled people, and it leads to a large group of people doing the kinds of things we're talking about in Hebrews 10, verse 25. They're encouraging one another to love the way Jesus loved. They're helping one another. They're serving one another. They're worshiping together. They're spurring one another on. But it starts with a small group of spirit-filled people. Uh, we set a goal this year at Hope Ankeny. We want to get 700 people into small groups. Uh, last fall, we had small groups for seven weeks in October and November, and oh, about 300 people registered for those small groups. Uh, Alpha started last Tuesday here at Hope Ankeny. We got over 90 people registered for Alpha. It's our biggest Alpha group ever in the history of Hope Ankeny. There's a huge small group component to Alpha. We've got a new round of small groups starting up uh, in February. For seven weeks in February and March, we're asking you to consider joining a small group. We asked some of those 300 people who were in small groups in the fall if they might be willing to share what their experience of being in a small group was like. Matt Martinez and his wife Abby were in a small group. Here's part of Matt's experience. Take a look. My wife and I are married and we have two young, young children, so we were looking for people within the church that had our same experiences, same life journeys that we could relate to and connect with here at Hope. Our experience has been amazing. My wife and I have learned that our journey uh, as a young married couple, uh, although it is unique to us, uh, at the same time, uh, it is common uh, in other families, just the same questions we have, the same highs and lows the other married couples in our group have, and it's just fun to explore those topics. It's fun to joke around about them, but it's also a great opportunity to learn more from other people and how they've dealt with those experiences and how they've raised the, the highs and how they've gotten through the lows in their own relationships with Jesus. I would absolutely recommend small groups to, to others. It's not something that is as scary as you might think. You just come with your, your faith in the Lord Jesus and you come with an open mind and open heart because you're going to meet some amazing people in your group. You're going to have, get to have great conversations. So what we're asking you to prayerfully consider is joining a small group 
in February and March for uh, seven weeks. You can scan the QR code. It'll take you to a list of the small groups that are happening. We've got bulletins in the room. If you prefer a hard copy, grab a bulletin. You can go online and you can find all of the small groups that we're offering. When are they meeting? Where are they meeting? Uh, what are they studying in particular? Some of them are looking at books and then discussing the book that you're reading. Uh, some of them are watching videos and then discussing the video you watch. Some of them are uh, sermon-based study guides, and so it's kind of follow-up to the sermons that get preached on the weekend. Uh, look for what might work best for you. Uh, we're asking you to consider doing this because we think it's going to be good for you. Uh, we think it's going to help your faith grow. Uh, through the course of these seven weeks, you will learn some things, you will meet some people. The other thing that happens is life happens. And, and before I kind of dig into what I mean when I say life happens, um, we've got a goal of 700 people in small groups, but having 700 people in small groups is not the end result we're praying for. Does that make sense? We've got 700 people in small groups because we think this is an important way, it's one way that you can grow in your faith. I want us to read this verse together. It's uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. The Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So Emily said in announcements, uh, we're celebrating, we had a new member class a couple weekends ago, all the Hope campuses had this new member class, and hundreds of people joined Hope through the new member class, over 50 here at Hope Ankeny, and we're praising God for that. But again, uh, um, the end result we're looking for is not a database full of members, or uh, 700 people in small groups, or you know, seats filled with people worshiping on the weekend. We want that to happen because we think it's an important way to move toward the end result we want, and this is the end result we want. This is what we are praying happens in your lives as individuals and happens to us together as a congregation, that the Spirit of God is going to be poured out into our lives to change us, to make us more like Jesus. The, the word, the Greek word that the Apostle Paul, who writes 2 Corinthians, uses here is the word, we get our idea of metamorphosis from what he's talking about here when he's talking about a changed life. A, a caterpillar that goes through the process of metamorphosis and becomes a butterfly. That's what he's talking about. And so he's talking about moving from immaturity to maturity, from childhood to adulthood in our faith. In other places, Paul will talk about some of you are still nursing spiritually. You're still taking milk from the bottle spiritually. It's time to grow up. It's time to move into some more solid food, to, to mature in your faith. This is the idea of maturing in faith, sometimes it gets talked about with the language of transformation into Christ-likeness, which sounds kind of fancy and academic. But transformation into Christ-likeness, what, what this verse is pointing to, it's all about love. Jesus says the world will know you're following him, the world will know you're a follower, a disciple of Jesus, by your love for one another. And so we want you to consider getting into a small group because we know it's going to help you grow in love for God and in love for one another. Because in the course of those six or seven weeks, life will happen, which means someone in your group is going to get some bad news. And you'll have the opportunity to listen and empathize and pray with them and love them well. And someone in the group is going to get some really good news. And you'll have the opportunity to celebrate with them and rejoice with them and praise God together with them and, and love that way. Grow in love that way. 
Uh, another person we asked if she'd be willing to share her experience is a woman named Colleen, and here's part of her small group experience. Take a look. I didn't want to join this small group Bible session, and I heard Pastor Scott and Pastor Ash encouraging all of us to do that. I had every reason in my head as to why I didn't want to do it. I can't drive at night. I was too busy. I didn't think it was for me. I think I had my faith going on. When I started really thinking about this, I started really looking at myself and reflections of, I love going to church and I love how I feel when I'm there. But from Monday to Saturday, those are a lot of extra days where I needed something to supplement my faith, supplement my journey, and help me to learn more and be deeper in my faith. Our group is very, pretty special, actually, because it's a Zoom meeting. We meet super early in the morning, 6.15 in the morning. My first meeting, I was pretty nervous to join the meeting, but once I was on and saw that I was with all women, our group is all women, it is very diverse ages, um, diverse milestones of where we are in our life. And I wasn't still so sure that was a good fit for me. However, after a few minutes in a very welcoming, safe environment um, of prayer and just stories, I think I learned very quickly that this was the group for me. I have learned so much, not just from a Bible perspective, which yes, we've done that too, so don't think we aren't, um, but truly, really just from a supplemental faith and community. I think community was probably one of the strongest points my takeaway is from this, and I really can't believe that we're down to just one more week. It's a seven-week journey, short-term commitment. You can do this. And I recommend everybody to take the plunge and try it. I don't know how many times I've watched that video. We've had to edit it and, and you know get it just right to communicate the message we wanted it to communicate. The last service was the first time that I noticed that the, the footage of the Zoom meeting, someone was sipping on a glass of wine. I'm pretty sure it's stock footage. Uh, they're not sipping on wine on a 615 Bible study. I don't know, it, but it reminds me of the day of Pentecost. Isn't that great? Oh, dear. Uh, the day of Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the crowd initially thinks Peter and the disciples are drunk. And he says it's in the Bible. He says it's too early to be drunk. Anyway, uh, well, the reason I wanted you to watch Colleen's uh, experience is she talks about how important community is. Uh, that she, uh, she loves coming to worship, but it's a long time from weekend worship to weekend worship. And she realized I need something in the middle of the week to help me reset my faith and reconnect with God and others. And the small group has been really helpful for that. Uh, I, I hear a lot of people talking, uh, I read articles, people are talking about the idea of mindfulness. Have you heard people talk about mindfulness? So I think part of the reason people are talking about and thinking about mindfulness so much is we live in a world that makes it really easy for us to be mindless. I'm going to repeat that again because some of you have maybe drifted into mindlessness in the middle of this message. We live in a world that makes it really easy for us to kind of drift through life in a mindless manner. Uh, I was thinking about this. I don't need to tell you. It's pretty obvious, but I work out. Um, <clears throat> so Friday morning, I was at my workout. The guy I work out with, he, he comes to Hope and 
he wants to work out at 5.55 in the morning. So I don't know, it was like 500 degrees below zero and dark and uh, the fir- I am mindless at the beginning of my workouts. In part because I'm so old, it takes a good 30 minutes for my body to warm up and loosen up. So we're not putting any weight on the bar like the first half of the workout. It's just going through the motions, trying to loosen up and actually move. And so I do, that's what I'm doing, mindlessly going through the motions. I'm not focused. I'm not paying attention. I'm not attuned to my body. I'm not paying attention to my form. But as we start to put weights on the bar and the weight gets heavier and heavier, I realize I have to be mindful. I have to be paying attention. I have to be focused or else I will get injured. And I think there's a similar reality when it comes to living a life of faith. It's so easy for us to just go through the motions, to just kind of mindlessly drift through Bible reading and worship and prayer and small groups and and serving and and whatever it might be. We want to be a church that is spirit-filled, surfing new waves of revival sent by the Spirit. We need to be attuned to what the Spirit is doing. God's Word tells us God is always speaking. God speaks creation into existence. God speaks to great men and women of faith whose stories we read about in Scripture. Here's how the book of Hebrews begins. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now he has spoken to us through his Son. God is constantly speaking. The question is, are we listening? Our son, Shaden, is a junior at Des Moines Christian School, and some of his friends are in a class. They have a, a, an assignment where they have to interview someone who's in ministry, and I don't know if they have to write a paper or give a, an oral report about it or not, but last Tuesday after Alpha, I was on the phone for about an hour with four of Shaden's high school buddies as they were asking me questions about being a pastor, and one of the questions they asked is, have you ever heard God speak to you? And the answer to that question is, yeah, God speaks to me all the time. Let me, let me give you some examples. Last weekend, it was Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and we were talking about goal number two. We want to be unity agents. We want to build bridges of harmony in a world that's divided. And the text we were assigned to preach from was from Romans chapter 12, verse 16, is live in harmony with each other. It's a great verse for what we were talking about. And yet, while I was preparing the sermon... I didn't feel like I needed to dig into that text in Romans, but I felt like God was saying, I want you to share with the people this story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 11 about a guy who's in need of help, and he's knocking at the door of his neighbor at midnight. Knocking on the door at midnight. And so I spent a lot of time walking through that story in Luke chapter 11 last week. I got done with the sermon, I'm like, oh, I hope I was faithful. I hope that God was really leading me to do that and I wasn't just like misreading anything. We started singing the closing song and it included the lyric, the darkest night, you can light it up. And in that moment, as I'm wondering, was it the right thing to talk about this story about a knock at midnight and then we sing the darkest night, you can light it up. It was like God's spirit was affirming in my spirit that I'd been listening, I'd been paying attention, I'd been uh, in tune with the spirit as we were preparing the message last week. Now, you hear that story, and you're probably like, really? I thought, Scott, you wrote your sermons months in advance, and you told the uh, worship team, here's the songs that we should sing that line up really well. No, we don't do that. Uh, A lot of times, I'm like, I sure hope that they're listening to the Spirit, and the Spirit's saying the same thing to them that the Spirit's saying to me, and more often than not, it happens. 
It's really cool. It's one of the ways you know God is speaking to you. Uh, the other story that I thought of, as I was thinking about times when God has spoken to me, uh, I think about the nine and a half, ten months uh, where I was transitioning from the church I was at before I got to Hope. Uh, for about five and a half years, I was in Buffalo, Iowa, uh, at a church there, and about five years into my time there, I got this internal restlessness, this sense that maybe it's time to be somewhere else. Maybe God's leading me to something new. And so I started talking with churches and sending out my pastor's profile, and uh, nobody was really interested in me. I, I did hear from an old college friend of mine who in 2006 was on staff at Lutheran Church of Hope in West Des Moines, and she invited my wife Wendy and me to come to a conference at Hope in the spring of 2006. It was a vision conference. And so there were workshops that we went to where different Hope staff talked about, here's what we do in our ministry area, uh, here's the vision that we think God has given us, here's how we're moving in the direction of uh, you know, these dreams that, that God has for us. And the whole time, I'm I'm trying to pay attention. Is, might this be a landing spot for me? Would this be a good fit for me? A after one of the days of the conference, my friend said, how about we just spend some time praying? So we sat down in the back of the worship center. It was before they built the uh, big auditorium that we have in, in West Des Moines now. So it was a room about this size. We were sitting in the back of the worship center praying for God to guide, uh, for me to, to clearly hear uh, what God is saying to me and what direction, what path God has for me, what's next for me. And I kid you not, as loudly and clearly and audibly as I've ever heard a voice in my life, Scott, can you hear me? Scott, can you hear me? I opened my eyes and I looked at my friend and her eyes were wide open. I said, did you hear that? She said, yeah. And we heard it again. Scott, can you hear me? We were sitting at the back of the worship center and they were just getting ready to start worship rehearsal. So there was some guy doing a mic check, <laughs> speaking into the microphone to some other guy named Scott who's sitting back in the audio booth. Scott, can you hear me? It was not the voice of God, but <laughs> it was God speaking to me. There was something clarifying and affirming about that experience. What happens when you are speaking with another human being? The words that they speak to you, it starts to guide your thoughts in a particular direction. Right? If, I'm, if you're speaking to me, the words you say start to guide my thoughts in a particular direction. When God speaks to us, that's the same thing that happens. That word metamorphosis that Paul uses, he also uses it at the beginning of Romans 12. Don't conform, don't copy the behaviors and patterns of this world, but let God metamorphosize, transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think, by guiding your thoughts. So, the Holy Spirit will give us these nudges. We'll get these promptings from the Holy Spirit, and we, we learn to respond to them. Oh, did you hear what Colleen said in that video? I didn't want to be in a small group, but they kept talking about it. And, and I think at some point the Holy Spirit was speaking to her spirit, prompting her, nudging her to look at the groups and eventually sign up to be in a small group. That happens as we read scripture, that happens as we gather for worship, that happens when we're in conversations with people. God is speaking to us. The question is, are we listening? So the assignment for this week is to be relentlessly responsive. God will bring a person to your heart, to your mind. It'll just kind of pop up. Maybe you're driving somewhere, getting ready for the day, and boom, they pop into your mind. In that moment, respond. 
send them the text or put an appointment in your calendar to give them a phone call or make that connection. I want you to practice responding in the moment when you feel those nudges or promptings from the Holy Spirit. When you're having a meal, when you're uh, in a classroom, when you are at a meeting at work, keep the phone away so that you can be mindful and present in the moment to the conversation that's happening person to person, but also teach yourself, train yourself to be listening at the same time to what the Holy Spirit might be saying in that moment. As you do this, as you learn to respond in the moment to these promptings from the Holy Spirit, God's voice will become more clear in your life. You will be able to recognize it more and more all the time. You'll have more confidence that, yes, this is really God speaking to me and God leading me, and it's not just some idea that I have. We want to be a Spirit-filled church, surfing new waves of revival. Uh, there's a, a scientist in Hungary who has been researching wave behavior. Uh, not, not waves in an ocean, but waves at a sporting event. And his team of researchers have discovered waves, uh, this is really true, I'm not just making this up. Waves usually roll clockwise, they typically move at a speed of 20 seats per second. Waves are about 15 seats wide. And here's the conclusion of months of research on wave behavior. Here's what he says. Waves are generated by no more than a few dozen people standing up simultaneously and subsequently expands through the entire crowd. Small group of people doing something that impacts a huge crowd. Sounds like the church to me, doesn't it? I, I went to seminary in Portland, Oregon, beautiful part of the country. And we loved on the weekends to drive up the Columbia River Gorge, about, uh, I don't know, an uh, hour, an hour and a half up the gorge, you get to Hood River. And Hood River turns out to be one of the best places in the world for wind surfing or this kite surfing on this river hundreds of miles inland. It's not surfing on an ocean, it's surfing on a river. We want to surf new waves of revival. When I was at uh, that church, it was the first time I had ever seen PowerPoint used to kind of uh, help people through sermons or movie clips used as illustrations in a sermon. What are the new ways of preaching? What are the new ways of uh, singing and, and worshiping together? What are the new ways of serving that we're going to discover as we learn to be attuned and paying attention and listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to us? I want to invite the worship team to come out. We'll get ready for our, our closing songs. But as they're coming out and getting ready, I want us to read this verse together from Isaiah chapter 43. Um, Pastor Mike, you heard him say in that video that we watched, when a church has a vision, part of what that means is our best days are still ahead of us. The best is still to come, and that's what this verse is getting at. Read it out loud with me. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? Would you stand with me, please? I want to pray for us. God's doing something new. And the prophet wonders if we see it, if we hear it. Are we paying attention? Are we in tune with the Spirit? And Lord, we confess to you that uh, we have a tendency to drift into spiritual mindlessness, to not listen, to not see, to not pay attention. And Lord, for some of us right now, 
there could be a temptation. We got stuff to do. We got places to go. And as soon as the preacher says amen, I can get out of here. Lord, we have this opportunity. Wherever two or more are gathered, your word promises to be here with us. And some of us don't see it or hear it or feel it, but you are here. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us faith to trust, to believe that you are here and that is good for us. And that you want to, because you love us, you want to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And even if we don't understand what that means, even if it feels a little, uh, do I really want that? Lord, help us in this moment to use this time wisely to give you permission to fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. So we ask for that. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.